Here we go. Good morning. It is good to be with you, um, visiting from Hamilton, and um, it's really encouraging also just to, um, to share with you what God is doing in our part of town, and, uh, and just uh, so encouraging to uh, remember that the gospel is always moving, moving forward. And it's my privilege this morning to share with you from Acts 8, uh, a passage that just gives us that sense uh, from Acts about what God is doing and how the gospel is always moving forward. Turn with me to Acts 8, please, and we'll look at uh, verses 26 to 40. I'll read that for us. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way, rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. If you don't mind, I will pray once more. Lord, we do not take it for granted that we get to hear you address us and speak to us from your word. We don't take it for granted that you promise that your spirit will be with us when we open these words. We don't take it for granted that you inspired Luke 2,000 years ago. To write these words for our sake, even this morning. You are the living God. And this morning we want to meet with you. Would you open our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you help me as I open up your word? Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have heard of a famous uh, painter, a Dutch painter named Vincent van Gogh. I imagine some of you might even be um, familiar with some of his uh, paintings. Uh, He was actually the son of a godly pastor uh, who preached the word of God. Van Gogh himself wanted to become a pastor. And for a while, when he lived in London, he would go to visit uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's church. And he was so influenced by the preaching of the gospel that he would go down in the evenings down to East London and serve the poor and even share God's word with them. But if you know anything about Van Gogh, sadly, things were to change. When he went to Antwerp, he was taught the Bible by people who were actually very antagonistic to the things of God. And they tried to destroy the Bible's story and integrity and its point. And slowly Van Gogh began to lose his trust in God and turned away from God to immorality and emptiness and futility. 
One person rightly says that you'd expect an artist so great as Van Gogh to reflect that change of mind through a painting. And that's exactly what he does. Maybe you want to look it up later. A painting called Still Life with an Open Bible. If you look it up later, it's a bit dark, but it's there. The Bible is open in that painting to Isaiah chapter 53. And the candlestick has all but gone out beside that passage. And there's just a little bit of smoke in the background. And instead of the Bible, beside it, there's a sensual book called La Joie de Vivre, The Joy of Living. It was a book that was banned at the time because of its sensuality and the message that was in it. And it's as though Van Gogh was making the claim through that painting that the light over the Bible had gone out over his life and that he was now going to replace it with the joy of life and morality instead of the things of God. Well, in our passage this morning from Acts 8, the same passage from Isaiah 53 is being read by another empty man. And God brings a willing and ready servant alongside this Ethiopian traveler. And after this encounter, things don't stay the same. And God uses Philip, an evangelist whom we meet earlier in Acts, to play an important part in God's appointment with this traveler, with this Ethiopian. And at the end of the story, we're told in Luke's brief words that this man went home rejoicing. His life was not the same. Not, his for, not for him personally, not for his family, and not for his country. Perhaps this morning, you can identify with the Ethiopian. Perhaps you feel that tug. You feel that emptiness. There's longing in your heart for the living God, but you're just not sure where to go. Maybe you need a friend. You need a guide. You don't even know how to navigate your way around Scripture. Maybe there's a Philip in the house this morning. And maybe you're going, Lord, I want to be used. I want to come alongside somebody in this journey of faith. Well, I think this passage is there to remind us this morning, whether you're a Philip or an Ethiopian, whether you feel kind of like Van Gogh, that we can all turn to the gospel this morning to find the fullness of joy that we really need that can transform things. As we look into this passage, I'm going to break it up into three points to show us how the Spirit brings this man home. First, we're going to look at the emptiness of a sinner, this eunuch, who is also seeking the, the living God. Second, we're going to look at the willingness of a Christian, Philip. And third, we'll look at the joyfulness, the joyfulness of the gospel. In verse 27, we meet a eunuch. And when Philip gets to that desert road uh, between Jerusalem and Gaza, he doesn't know whom, we get to, whom he's going to meet. But Luke tells us in verse 27, four things about him by way of introduction. First, he tells us that he is an Ethiopian. An Ethiopian. We think of Ethiopia as a nation in the Horn of Africa. But really the Greek term applied to all of Africa, south of Egypt. He was probably from today's Sudan. Most likely a, very black, uh, a, a, a man who was very likely a black man. And he had come all the way from his homeland to Jerusalem. It would have taken him no less than four months to travel to this part of the world. No small commitment. He must have known something of the Bible's great promises to the people of his part of the world. Places like Psalm 68 verse 31 that says, Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush, that's his land, that's what it was called. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. Places like Psalm 87, where it talks about God registering people from that part of the world, from Ethiopia, registered, 
registering them by name in his book of life. The point that Luke wants to tell us by bringing the story of the Ethiopian in this part of Acts is that God has a heart for these people. God has a heart and He's fulfilling these promises through Jesus Christ in bringing people into the family of God. And so this man from Ethiopia is there in Jerusalem. The second thing that we learn about him, Luke tells us, is that he's important. The text says that he was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure. So he would have been equivalent to our minister of finance or what the Brits call the chancellor of the exchequer. He would have been a person of great influence and importance. He has trusted with a lot. And he would have also been an educated, intelligent man because we find him reading Isaiah, probably from a Greek scroll in a few verses. Third, the eunuch is a eunuch. That's the third thing that um, Luke tells us about him. He is a eunuch. He was a sexually altered man, a castrated man. Luke highlights that fact five times in this short passage. Our most reliable commentators say that this means uh, he was castrated. He, and this identity, his identity is tied around the fact that he was a eunuch. He would have been unable to have a family. In ancient times, high-ranking aristocratic officials would be eunuched in order to ensure that they would be safe, trustworthy around the royalty's possessions and harem. And whether among Romans or Jews, this was not an honorable estate. Even if you were an important person, this was not an honorable estate. This man would have been on the outs, despite his importance. In fact, there's superstition among the Romans that is recorded for us that if you as a Roman citizen met a eunuch in the morning, retrace your steps and go back home and restart your day. They were just considered bad luck. In the eyes of prejudiced people, they were in the eyes of the ancient world less than women and slaves. And so this eunuch goes to Jerusalem. We're told the fourth thing about him is that he is a God-fearer. He is a God-fearer. He would have gone to Jerusalem because he knows something of the true and living God and he wants to worship Him. He wants to know Him. Maybe he combined a diplomatic visit with some religious conference and he was there as an earnest seeker of the God of Israel. But I want you to imagine the scene. This man would have showed up to the temple courts to know and inquire and worship the living God and would have been rejected. Eunuchs were not allowed to convert and fully belong to the people of God. So this man would have made that entire trek all the way to the land of the Bible, as close as humanly possible to come to encounter the living God, and would have been told, Mr. Eunuch, we appreciate your interest, but a man of your status cannot come, cannot be a full convert, a proselyte to the religion of the Bible. We are sorry, but you cannot enter into the temple. You cannot be circumcised as a sign of belonging to God's people. By all accounts, this man would have, would have left that day empty. He would have come as close as possible to Jerusalem to meet the living God and would have gone home empty. And what strikes me out of this story is that of all the tens of thousands of people that God reached out to this man before he went home and sent Philip to cross his path. God had an appointment with this man. He set 
his favor on the Ethiopians and sent Philip. So meet with me, Philip. We meet a willing Christian. Philip is used by God in this unfolding appointment with the Ethiopian. I'm sure God could have made himself, would have made Christ known in some other way to the Ethiopian, but he chooses a very ordinary, essential component. He uses Philip, an ordinary guy named Philip, who is obedient and available to the Spirit's promptings, and who listens to this call. Now, this Philip is not one of the twelve that you read about in the Gospels. This is actually a Philip who is introduced to us in Acts 6 as one of those appointed to serve tables. He's a deacon. He's appointed to serve the practical needs of the church. And earlier in Acts 8, we find the same Philip in the middle of an urban revival in Samaria, where the whole city, is, is, it is said, is filled with joy at receiving the gospel. And this man is at the center of that. He's preached the gospel to them. He's brought it to them. There's excitement. And picture the scene in verse 26. He is told by an angel of the Lord in verse 26, Rise, leave Samaria, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. First thing I want you to note about Philip is he yields to the Lord's guidance. I don't know about you, but if I'm in the middle of an exciting urban revival in a city, I'm not sure I would be very excited to go to the middle of nowhere in a, to an old, unused desert road to meet someone I don't even know. But that's what the angel's instruction is. In, in fact, commentators go so far as to say, this is an absurd command. Who would listen to this command from the angel? He is told to go to a lonely assignment in the middle of the desert, and this guy says, good to go, Lord. The Lord sovereignly moves Philip out of the limelight and into obscurity, the obscurity of personal evangelism, where no one else is watching, just two people. His role in Samaria is done, he's not told why, and he is moved to that place to serve the Lord. Bruce Milne, a commentator, rightly says, this guy, Philip, is a Christ-surrendered, spirit-enabled, and ready servant of the Lord. I want to be like that. The Ethiopian is there, seated in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah, in verse 28. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the, the chariot. And so Philip runs to him and decides to join the chariot. I can't help but wonder, whose chariot is God calling you to join in your life? Who are the people that you see regularly in your life? Or maybe even just randomly see. And God is saying, go over and join this chariot. The Spirit is prompting you to go walk beside that person. See, Philip is not intimidated. Uh, he, he just runs beside this chariot. The, the cultural barrier of this for, the foreignness of this man doesn't intimidate him. And, and, and he doesn't mind running. You know, among, among ancient Jews, running was not like a, a, a cool thing. That was actually kind of indecorous. To run was not something that a respectable person would do. But Philip doesn't mind. He's like, I'll run to join the chariot. Sure. And he finds him reading scripture. He doesn't mind associating and engaging this foreigner. He hears the reading of the prophet Isaiah. And in the middle of this hot noonday sun... In the desert road, he begins by engaging in conversation. That's the second thing I want you to know. He engages in conversation and he asks him a question. 
Do you understand what you are reading? You see, Philip doesn't just show up. He opens up. That's usually where I struggle. I think Peter mentioned there briefly, I, I, I work as a commercial pilot, so about six or seven, sometimes eight days a month at most, I go flying with another crew member, with another pilot, sometimes two. And we hang out together for two or three days in a row. Um, in some city somewhere, or traveling from one place to another, and we're stuck together, in a good way. We're stuck together, we're hanging out, we have to work together, we usually share meals together, and usually, I'm there, I have to be there for work, so I show up. But the question for me every time is, will I open up? Will I open myself up, the real me, who I am, what I believe, what I love, what I'm all about in my life? Will I talk about what is important to me? Will I ask them what is important to them? If I see them reading, will I say, hey, what are you reading? And start a conversation and care about what they're going through, what they're thinking about. Usually, that's where I struggle. I'm there, but do I actually open up? And Philip opens up. He offers himself a Jew knowledgeable enough to help this man and is not intimidated by his obvious status or put off by his apparent foreignness. And he asks that question. He starts the conversation. Do you understand what you are reading? Maybe you should ask somebody that question. Do you understand what you're reading? What are you reading? And before you know it, Philip's one question prompts a series of questions from the eunuch. The immediate one was, how can I understand unless someone guides me? He doesn't know he's just provided Philip a great softball question to share the gospel. But friends, God does divinely orchestrate conversations like these to bring people to a living knowledge of Him. He always has, and He continues to do that. The question is, will we open up? Or will we say, I'm just too tired. I'm not really interested. Oh, that's just private. I don't, I don't want to get into that person's private life. Or will we be available to the Spirit's prompting? Maybe it's that person that you see taking out the trash, the garbage every week, right around the same time that you do. Maybe it's when you get on the bus and you meet that same person over and over again, or you sit beside that person and you feel that prompting. Engage in conversation. Engage in conversation. Ask a question. Third, Philip is ready. He understands and explains the good news. Philip knew the scriptures. Now, thankfully, the Ethiopian wasn't reading, you know, some account from Samuel, you know, hagging Agag or, you know, some, something about Jephthah or something like that and having to make a beeline from there to Christ. Thankfully, it's Isaiah 53. The gospel according to Isaiah, is what he finds him reading. And Philip knows enough of Scripture. He's ready. He's read his Bible to be able to share the Gospel and to make a beeline from that story to Jesus Christ. Have you not heard, Mr. Ethiopian, that these Scriptures were fulfilled through Jesus Christ? And so he's ready. But my point is, that I want to highlight, is that before that encounter... Philip is a Christian who knows his Bible, and he understands the gospel. I want to I tell you that I think many of us should practice preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's actually a great practice. I find myself lately a little bit discouraged 
And as I have begun preaching the gospel to myself, I've been just lifted up with joy. And as we do that, it actually increases our readiness to live that gospel out and increases our readiness to share it as well. And so that's what Philip does. You see, Second uh, uh, Timothy 3.16 says that scriptures are profit- they're God-breathed and they're profitable. But listen, one of the things they're profitable, profitable for is for training and righteousness so that the man of God, the man and woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Every time you have your devotions and you open up your Bible is an opportunity for you to meet the living God and for you to be equipped to help others meet the living God. And so the evangelistic heart of Philip leaps up and grasps the opportunity and he engages. He doesn't even go to a different passage. He just starts right there and continues the conversation. Fourth encouragement is expect God to work as you explain the good news. As Philip presented the story of the gospel and as the conversation continued, I can imagine the Ethiopian falling under the spell of Jesus Christ who had come from God's heart into the world, who had lived and served and died and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins and rose triumphantly from the grave who now lives and reigns and rules over all things one day to return, who is gathering for himself a people, a family like you, the church, in every place on the face of this planet. That meant that he told, he shared the gospel. He shared Christ as he is offered in the gospel according to Isaiah with this Ethiopian. He told him the promise of the good news that you, Mr. Ethiopian, can be cleansed from all your sins. You can meet God. You can know Him personally. You can have a relationship with Him. You can have the Spirit as your friend. You can be enfolded and engrafted into God's family. See, that's my story too. In 2001, my parents brought me to Canada. I was kind of going through a teenage year crisis. Um, I I wasn't doing well at all in school. My parents were paying a lot of money in Egypt to get me through private school and things were just not working out. And my dad worked at the Canadian Embassy in Cairo. And one day he came home and he announced, he said, we're going home. We're going to Canada. Sorry. We're going to Canada in three weeks. That's my story. And three weeks later, we ended up in Canada. And within a few weeks, I felt my spirit burning, just wanting to find meaning and purpose. I was longing for friendship. And I walked into a church in our neighborhood. And the priest there was sharing the gospel. It was an Anglican church. And the priest there actually shared the gospel. Took an interest in me. Came and had a conversation with me after. He pointed me to a, a, local, English, uh, a, a local Christian bookstore. Where I got my first English Bible. That's how I learned English. That's my story. That was my end. That was my end. God had an appointment with me in that day. To start me on that journey of faith because somebody took an interest in me and communicated, talked with me and shared that good news. I didn't fully understand it. I promise you, I did not understand a thing that he said that day, but I knew there was something real. And so I went and picked up a Bible and my life changed ever since. Maybe, you, maybe you've had a story like that. Maybe that's your story. But honestly, I think the encouragement this morning is that we have a message to share. If this is your story, share it. Tell people about it. 
And God wants to use you in that role. I imagine when we get to heaven, there will be a lot of people celebrating how we got there. There will be people that maybe sowed the seeds at the beginning of your journey. Maybe just had a conversation with me, with you. Maybe it will be somebody in your church family that along the way when you were not sure you really trusted in Christ, you were going through a hard time, maybe you were ill, maybe you had a crisis, and somebody came and spoke the words of Christ to you and helped you in that journey to make it home to Christ. Or maybe it's that person that was the final link, like Philip in this story, the final link in God's sovereign chain who spoke that gospel, the gospel, and it just brought that person home. Maybe you're that, but don't be discouraged. You have a place to play in, every, in, in, in someone's journey. Maybe, maybe you're at the beginning. Maybe you're that person, you know, throwing a stone in someone's shoe. Maybe you're just along the way in the family of God, in the church, and you're helping somebody trust more in Christ and give more of their lives to Him. Maybe you're like Philip. You get the privilege of praying with somebody and leading them to Christ. But don't be discouraged. There's a place for each of us in bringing people home to God and helping them to know Christ. We should pray for a big heart for God and a big heart for people. See, every conversion is a miracle of grace. It's an appointment, a divine appointment that God has. And He uses ungifted, untutored people like us who are just available and ready to become a link in the chain of redemption. Finally, and this is where I want to close, the joyfulness of the gospel. The joyfulness of the gospel. See, regardless of whether you're Philip or the Ethiopian, this is where we all need to go. The gospel. The star of this story is not Philip. The star of this story is Jesus Christ. The star of this story is how God uses this joy this joy of the gospel to bring this person home and to give Philip a mission. You see, even at the end of the story, we find him just continuing on this mission that God has for him. This is the news. What is the gospel? This is the news that you and I are called to respond to. This is the news that brings us joy. Maybe this morning, this is what you need to hear. Lord, I feel empty. I feel empty. I need your joy. I need your filling. I need the joy that Peter describes as joy inexpressible and full of glory. I need to return to my first love. And this is the point that I want to close with. We cannot share the gospel if we're not ourselves excited about the gospel. And that's exactly what the eunuch needed. He said, I need someone to guide me. He says, I need someone to guide me. And so... Philip shared with him from Isaiah 53. I just want to read it briefly for us and show us how the gospel is there in Isaiah 53. Maybe you you can identify with that and even respond this morning. Acts 8, uh, verses 32 and 33. uh, He quotes the passage of scripture there from Isaiah 53. He says, Like a sheep, he, as in Jesus, was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from him. This is talking about Jesus. Uh, the prophet, when he wrote this, did not know it. Isaiah, it is, it is very unlikely that Isaiah knew who he was talking about or completely understood that someday this is who the Messiah would be like. 
But he uttered words that were for our benefit, for our instruction. And so Philip, in light of the gospel, explains that this rejected, slain, despised lamb is the kingly son of David who came and lived and died in Jerusalem. Just a, maybe a year before he was sharing this. Isaiah was not talking about his own suffering or even that of the nation. He was talking about the Messiah 750 years before it happened. And he was talking about how this Messiah would have to suffer like an innocent lamb to take our place. See, at the heart of this message is that someone had to take my place and your place. Someone had to pay for our sins and bring us back to God. And so he tells him about this lamb who is the victim of the greatest injustice in human history who went to the cross for our sakes. Beginning with the scripture, Philip opened his mouth and told him, and he said to him, don't you see my African friend? He did this for you. He was humiliated. He came and lived under the law. He was made unclean, poor, forsaken, crucified outside the gate, cut off from his people. You can identify with that, can you not, Mr. Ethiopian? All this for you. All this for you. So that you can be welcomed in, adopted, and given a name better than sons and daughter, better than having a family. So he tells him that this humiliation led to exaltation. That just... Because Christ was humiliated in that low condition and emptied himself of glory, he rose from the dead for him so that he can live again. So that he can have life and purpose and family and belonging. And so the journey of faith begins. Because a few minutes later, maybe an hour later, sometime later, the Ethiopian understands something of this. And he says to him, you've told me about this message. I want to begin the journey of faith. There's water. Why can I not be baptized? And so... Philip stops the chariot and he goes into the water and baptizes him. You see, baptism is a sign of entering that life of discipleship and faith. So the, Philip is, so, so, so the Ethiopian is signing up. He's saying, sign me up. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe someone here, you're, you're, you're saying, I want to respond. Come, come into God's family. Maybe talk to somebody this morning. And so... The Ethiopian is baptized. Later on in that day, I wonder, as he went home rejoicing, if he came to the words of Isaiah 56, where it speaks to eunuchs. It says this in Isaiah 56, and I'll close there. It says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree, can't have a family. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, listen, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. This is the promise for you. This is the promise for us as we belong to God and belong in this church and experience the joy and the blessing of being part of God's family. Brother eunuch, I imagine Philip saying to him, your body is now a temple of the living God. Doesn't matter the ways in which in the past it was misused or abused. 
Perhaps you can identify with that. I came across this song a few weeks ago. It goes like this. The words say, I belong to the Lord. I am not my own. I belong to the Lord. As I bear His image, may I not profane the holiness that I hold in this earthly frame. I belong to the Lord. I am not my own. If He has redeemed me, I am not my own. The measure of my worth is His love alone. Those are the words that I wonder if maybe the Ethiopian would have even... Obviously, he would not have said those words, but I wonder if that's what he experienced, that kind of joy. He's not defined by his status that the world sees anymore as a eunuch. He belongs to the living God. What will you do with Jesus Christ this morning? That is the question I have for all of us, even for those of us who belong to him. Will we run to him and seek to be filled with his joy and love and Holy Spirit so that this will be our story too? The story of the gospel, the story of joy and life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this good news that changes and transforms us. We thank you for this good news that brings out, that brings in orphans and eunuchs. We're all eunuchs, Lord. And makes them sons and daughters of the living God. And gives, them, gives, uh, gives us a name better than sons and daughters and having sons and daughters. We thank you so much for this love. And I pray that you would bless KW Redeemer this morning, that Lord, they would also experience the joy of the gospel and continue to see souls and lives transformed by your amazing gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.